1: Everybody, another baseball America podcast, JJ Cooper. And for the first time here on the Baseball America podcast, I want to introduce to you all Jeff Ponce, our newest VA staffer. Very excited to have Jeff as part of the team. And we wanted to kind of celebrate that. Jeff started yesterday, I believe. It feels like, you know, in a good way, it feels like it's been longer than that. But Jeff (laughs) started with Baseball America yesterday and we wanted to do kind of an introductory podcast. But when we do an introductory podcast, we're not gonna just sit here and talk about it, you know, ourselves and all. What we're gonna do is, is, as we do here at BA, is we're gonna dive into the nitty gritty because it is 40 man roster protection week. And Jeff enjoys that like I do. And I think that a lot of you listeners enjoy that as well. So before we dive into that though, Jeff, welcome to the team. Very glad to have you, and welcome to the Baseball America podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you, JJ. I'm excited to be aboard. Um, you know, uh, obviously been in this space for a little bit, and uh, having the opportunity to do this all day, every day, and you know, work alongside uh, a lot of you know folks that I I have you know always looked up to and, and you know really respected a lot of their work, and I just think uh, you know where BA stands. Um, you know, sort of in the industry. And I think just, you know, the standard that they've set forth for many years in terms of baseball coverage. Um, you know, I'm had it, happy to to jump onto the team and contribute in you know any fashion I can. And, uh, just looking forward to uh good long run here of, uh, you know, some successful stuff.
1: We are too. And Jeff, if there is someone out there who's like, Hey, I, I okay. I, I don't know you tell, give us a little summary of, of kind of how you've, uh, gotten to this place?
0: Sure. So um, I came over from a website that uh, I had founded with a few other folks uh, by the name of Prospects Live. Um, Been over there for three years now, a little bit over three years. Uh, So, you know, we covered really all elements of baseball. Um, Had initially come into it um, somewhat from uh, a fantasy angle in terms of the initial stuff that I was writing about, you know, years ago, six, seven years ago, five years ago now. And uh, over the last three, I've made a concerted effort to focus more on, you know, the scouting side of things, um, but also staying, you know, plugged in on, um, you know, the draft and, and the college game and, uh, you know, uh, even still, you know, some fantasy stuff to a degree. Uh, and then, of course, the major leagues and, you know, all that surrounds that. So uh, sort of nerd out on baseball. It's, you know, my favorite thing in the world. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to spend as much time as I possibly can doing it. So yeah, my my background more or less was, you know, running a site, I'll say, uh, you know, similar in, in some instances to to Baseball America, and uh, really building out the content and the team there. And uh, years prior, I came from a, a website called Rasball. And uh, I think we, really, you know, started to to grow there in terms of doing different types of rankings and incorporating, you know, in, in-person in scouting uh, into fantasy evaluations, which at the time were, you know, really just heavily number-based and a uh, big fan of a lot of different mediums, you know, whether it be podcasts like this, uh, familiar with obviously you know, YouTube, do a lot of video editing from the stuff that I catch as well. So I touch a little bit of everything. Um, I like to consider myself a baseball renaissance man, so to speak.
1: <laughs> and we're excited to have you. Uh, you know, we've already been geeking out. You and I, uh, uh, Jeff's going to be a, a part of our 40-man our protection coverage the rest of the week as kind of one of the first things he does diving into top tens as we work on the central, get our central top tens wrapped up and uh and then rule five fever. It's it's here. And but that's kind of one of the big things that is happening this week. We've already seen this month, we saw a number uh, of protections because we had we have at the start of the month, you have minor league free agency, the world series ends. And yes, there's major league free agency. If you're, it, which I, I know that there's a little bit more popular out there in the in the overall space than minor league free agency, but it is also significant that there's minor league free agency. If you have a number of uh, uh, enough years of service time in the minor leagues, you still can re-sign with the club who originally you know signed you or the team that you were with. But you also have the ability; you are become a free agent, and then you can negotiate. With all thirty teams, but MLB teams have a way. They they have a, a essentially a trump card that if they really believe in you, there's a simple way they can avoid you going to minor league free agency, which is we add you to the forty man. Now have a you are you are now part of the forty man major league uh, roster. Congratulations! And by doing so, you don't hit minor league free agency. And we saw a number of players a number of teams do that with a number of players. So that was kind of our first little sneak peek of roster protections. But the biggie is this Friday, November 19th, every team has to set their 40 man and any player who is rule five eligible, who is under contract, who is not on the 40 man, as of November 19th at the deadline, usually it's 8 p.m. I haven't checked. I think it's 8 p.m. ET, but I have not checked that yet. And I should have, I apologize dear listeners, but um, by that deadline, if you haven't, then you are eligible for the major league portion of the rule five draft. If you're on the 40 man, and if you're not on a team's triple a roster, so 40 plus. So basically if you're not one of the top 78, I think it is 77, 78, 37 or 38. I Always get that wrong. But one of the top 77, 78 players in an organization on how they line those guys up, then you are eligible for the minor league portion. And again, when we say this, this is players who have signed their initial contract. If you're 19 years or older, when you signed it four se- after four years ago, I should say not seasons because 2020 counts, even though there was no season. Sure. Five years ago, if you signed as an 18-year-old or younger, And the one little tricky, there's two other things in the arcaneness of this, which is, one, if you signed after the season ended, that year doesn't count. So you will see players who signed on September 7th, 2018. That doesn't count. If you're an international player, especially, it's really hard to do that as a draftee nowadays with the signing deadline. But that does not count. And the other thing is, is if you sign a contract, and that contract is then voided, usually because of an injury or whatever. And then you sign a renegotiated contract, you immediately become. the next year you will become rule five eligible. Probably the most prominent version of that in recent years is Elvis Luciano, who was a Royals prospect. Well, he was a Diamondbacks prospect who was traded to the Royals. Why was he traded to the Royals in part? Because you were going to have to carry him on the 40 man or make him rule five eligible. The Royals didn't protect him. The Blue Jays did take him, even though he had basically not pitched above uh, rookie ball. Kept him on the roster all year, and he's still a Blue Jay because of that. That's yep. a long addendum. I'm sorry, Jeff, but that's a no, long way to say that. So now a lot of teams have decisions to to look at, to analyze, and I, that's what I love about this. Everyone wonders why I love the Rule Five Draft. One of the things I love is it's a demarcation point. It's a time when teams actually have to publicly profess what they actually really believe about someone. You could say everything you want about, oh, this draftee's just taking a little longer to figure it out. But then when the Rule 5 draft rolls around, you say, oh, we're protecting them or not. To, to take even minor league free agency, Nick Plummer had a great bounce-back year, first-round pick of the Cardinals a few years ago, I'll kind of kick this one to you because I've been talking too long, Jeff. But Nick Plummer had a great year in double-A. Oh, hey, he's regained his prospect status. He's made swing changes. He's improved. He's always been able to walk, can play the outfield, all that. There's a but, though. When it came to the end of the day, the Cardinals decided that they would rather let Nick Plummer reach minor league free agency than add him to the 40-man. What does that tell you?
0: Yeah, I think you know, especially with now. Of course, it's it's you know the Cardinals. In the recent years, um, we've seen some very good players leave the organization via a few different ways. I think minor league free yes. agents as well. If I'm not mistaken, Dallas Garcia was a minor league free agent last year, wasn't he? They, they
1: they they dropped him off the forty man in his case, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, I will look that up while we're talking. And then there's a certain rookie of the year who is traded now again as a in a yeah. big trade.
0: Yeah, I mean he was traded for for a former first rounder, you know. And yes. A guy- ranked pretty highly um but yeah uh, yes. you know i think they they've seen some guys some guys they've jettisoned from the system whether it's luke boy i mean others that turned out pretty good so it's not as if you know even a very you know uh, successful organization like the cardinals it's not like they're infallible either so that's one element to this that i always think is fun is is kind of finding you know uh the the unhidden gems or the you know the, the hidden gems and i think plumber is an example of you know Where does he fit, and and where's the role? And the depth within the organization is such where we've seen some pretty better prospects and and you know players I think that are more likely to be major league regulars in the outfield than Plummer uh, get moved. So you know I think it's a matter of depth there, and sometimes that forces teams to maybe make decisions that another team that doesn't have as much depth or has more Rule Five flexibility uh, flexibility may not have made. For example, if Nick Plummer is in Oakland. Nick Plummer's probably protected. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Absolutely
1: protected. By the way, <laughs> Adolis Garcia designated for assignment and then traded to the Rangers for cash. Now, and before Rangers, people say, what an astute pickup. I will also note, February 10th, 2021, Rangers designate Adolis Garcia for assignment. <laughs> February 12th, 2021, Rangers sent Adolis Garcia outright to Round Rock. So let's just say again, not only DFA'd this year, this year, DFA'd and all 29 other teams went, nah, we good. Exactly. And then they sent him to AAA. And then he was selected the contract of Adoles Garcia, April 13th. And hello, you know, to a, a, a big year this year. So that's one where I, I would say on that one, that's one where the Cardinals can at least say, hey guys, No one saw this coming because everyone had two opportunities um, on, on him, but, um, but right. The context does matter. If Nick Plummer is in another organization, it's a, it's a whole different story probably, but the, but again, this goes back to that. This is something where for everything that the Cardinals said about Nick Plummer, there is kind of this demarcation point. And now we're going to have a demarcation line and, It's a complicated demarcation line. There will be players who will be left unprotected on Friday night, who it's not because the team doesn't strongly believe in them, but it is something where the evaluation is made. You know what? That's a player who we can most likely slip through. The player who is promising but had an okay year in Class A, yeah, okay. Can I probably? Is someone going to pick him? Probably not. Is someone going to pick him and then carry them on their roster for all of the 2021 I mean, 2022 major league season? Maybe not. So, th- those evaluations go into this. I will never forget to give you know an, an example of this. Teams look at this and they every year will look at kind of past history and say, is this the kind of player who gets taken if not is that a risk to take and i will never forget in 2014 i i I got kind of word a day before the rule five draft and i was like okay the diamondbacks are going to take catcher oscar hernandez from the rays and i knew some people with the rays and i'm texting as i'm trying to work rule five you know rumors and all i'm like hey guys you're gonna lose oscar hernandez tomorrow and the response kind of was like, no, no one's ever taken a low A catcher and carried him for the whole year. And that was a true statement. But the reality was is someone took a low A catcher and carried him the whole year. So the the, the I would say that the Padres kind of yeah. scared everyone because in 2016, the Padres took Miguel Diaz, Luis Torrens, Alan Cordoba. I would say, especially in the case of Terenza and Cordoba, everyone knew those guys were not ready to help at the big league level, sure. but they just carried them anyway. And those teams lost them, which I do think Jeff kind of put the fear in other teams like, Oh, maybe we have to protect some of these players that we rather wish that we didn't have to protect.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing with that, in that, you know, that Padres year, I think in general was just sort of, um, You know famous like they you know they spent a ton of money in j2 i think it was the last year before the caps came Mm -hmm. in and you know they came in and sort of did this uh sort of a gangster move by Preller, like showing up to the rule five draft they take these guys that nobody expects them to take and you know in the the case of Torrens, i mean he's turned out to be a major leaguer and a pretty good player didn't hold him back too much cordoba is still floating around i think in double a and you know has struggled a little bit so i think on the other side of it is they can take guys like this but the question is you know is it going to hurt their development as a player too sometimes if they end up in the wrong spot and i think you know as much as maybe the padres might have scared some teams i think they also showed sort of what the downside is to taking some of these really young players that qualify because you know five years they sign when they're 16 and you know even if they're a college uh, college player in the united states 21 years old they're not fully baked, you know, only the best of the best. There's very few, you know, Juan Soto's and Acuna's and these guys that are, you know, absolutely in that sense and at that, at that age. Um, So I think that's something to keep in mind, which is why we tend to see, you know, position guys that could, could fill a bench role and maybe don't have a tremendous amount of ceiling. And we see a lot of relievers, you know, like Brett Degas last year, I think is a perfect example of someone with really interesting stuff. And the Dodgers just had tough decisions in terms of who they had, to go after so i still think the success rate within the rule five draft tends to be guys who are in the upper minors and particularly somebody who can come in and pitch out of the pen um because you don't have to give them you know as many innings you don't have to stick them out there all that much and it's not going to really curb the development as much it can not there's
1: no hard and fast rules in anything in baseball but there is a very strong suggestion which is there are you see examples as you said of players who I call stashes. Like okay, you're taking this player knowing he's not going to contribute, then you're going to hopefully send him back to the minors for further development and then come up. If Luis Torrens pulls that off, he will be one of the first of the 21st century, and he's starting to show that maybe he will. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. Most often, what happens is it ruins the player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now again, the good news is they were a big leaguer. For a short period of time, but it kind of ruins the player, and I think that there's a couple components to that. One is you lose development time because getting your brains beat in or going over July uh, as a big leaguer can do something for your confidence. Wei Chung Wang, you know, was also another guy plucked out of the lowest levels of the minors. Um, Brewers took him years ago as out of the Gulf Coast League, and he did eventually. That sometimes you kind of say with this, it's like, was the trouble worth it? Because the thing that remember about that, that stuck with me is, and this happens sometimes with stashes is they carried him the whole year. He was hurt a lot, but they carried him the whole year. They get to the off season and they're like, Oh, we don't have room on the 40 man for him. So they designated him for assignment. And much like we just talked about Fidolas Garcia, all the 29 other teams looked around and said, nah, we good. And so he stuck with them you know, gutting through waivers and big drop from the 40 man. And then the question becomes if that was the case, would you have been better off not carrying him on your roster and just working out a deal with the club? You know, like, okay, look, we don't want to carry him, but if you don't care that much to have him back, can we work out a, a deal to keep him or something? Stashes do usually, sure. I do think we've seen past history shows the most successful rule five picks. Almost without fail, and I'm talking about the 21st century, almost without fail in the 21st century are players who, in their initial year, they provided value to their team. If you did, like, I I have a top, well, I have every player who's been taken in the Rule 5 draft in the 21st century in the database, but, like, if you look at the top of that list, Odubel Herrera, Brad Keller, Dan Ugla, Garrett Whitlock, Josh Hamilton, Darren O'Day, Joaquin Soria, A lot of those guys had staying power too, but that's your list of top performances in their debut season. If you said career, you know, career war, having a negative war in your debut season and then going on to having success, the best examples I can give you are Wesley Wright, um, Joey Rickard. Those are a couple of examples, and they're not like guys who had massive impacts. Wesley Wright was a useful reliever for a couple of years, but I really struggled to come up with a guy who was pretty poor in his first year in Rule 5, and then went on to have a really good career. It just doesn't really happen that often. So we're going to dive into the 40-man roster protections and all of that entails. But before we do that, we're going to stop for a quick break. And we're back. So looking at it now, cause we got 40 man protection time, which is kind of the start of this. What are some teams we, we wrote about this a little bit and we're going to be writing about more of the, over the rest of the week, but Jeff, wh- who are some teams that jump out to you that you see as having interesting decisions to make?
0: Sure. And, you know, we talked about, you wrote about it the other day. I think you did a good job of, you know, highlighting uh, two teams in particular that I find to be, um, probably the most intriguing I actually would argue it's one of the more intriguing sort of conversations of this offseason especially with you know uh, some labor stuff looming Um, but Mm -hmm. Tampa Bay and the decisions that they have to make because they have a ton of talent and the same thing with Cleveland and I think this is sort of uh, the other side of the coin um, when it comes to drafting and developing players really well Um, these are two organizations that do that well and they do it well not only, you know, uh, domestically, but internationally as well. And, you know, when you have international players that do develop well, uh, and sometimes guys, you know, we'll see this, you know, with um, uh, uh, the Rays, for example, some of the guys that they have to make decisions on, you know, they might've been available last year. 2020 happened. We see 2021, it's two years of development, you know, and let's say that they were, you know, headed on an incline in terms of where their development has gone. Uh, a lot of those guys can make a big splash and be non-considerations one year and then all of a sudden seem to be slam dunks. And that really makes things difficult when you do draft well domestically because then you have a collection of nine to 10 players, which I think both of these teams do, and you have to shoehorn the best players into a handful of spots. And there are going to be good players that go unprotected from each of those organizations.
1: And this is something where, we, we see it every year at the trade deadline, but also it is, it's, it's not just a decision that teams have to be thinking about come November. Ideally you are prepped on this and you look at this in July. So at the trade, like the Yankees did this, like the Yankees are a team that kind of consistently gets rated come rule five time. Another team that, that generally has a lot of prospect depth and you look at the trades that the Yankees made and the, you look at the trades that the Yankees often make. You look at trades the Rays often make. Look at the, what the pot, I think the biggest example of this is look at what the Padres did last year. And I wrote about this at the time, where the Padres were trading players that were essentially, they came into 2020 knowing that they had more prospects than they had a really good farm system at the time. And it's like, nope, we're not going to be able to protect everybody by the time the protection deadline rolled around in last November, they were good. How did they do that? Well, they kept trading in every one of these moves they made. They traded a volume. Almost all the prospects they traded were players who were going to either were already on their 40 man or Luis Torrens, by the way, speaking of, you know, was one of those guys, but, or was someone who was going to have to be either added to the 40 man or left unprotected. I, Interestingly, not ironically, but interestingly, Joey Cantillo was one of the guys who was not part of the had to be added last year, but now he's a player who I would say fits who's acquired in Cleveland in one of those trades in the Clevenger deal. But now Cleveland's having to decide do you know, do we want to protect him or not? I don't think they're going to. But again, you, you can trade hey, if we have a surplus of six, eight guys more than we're going to be able to protect, maybe we include two, three, four of those guys in trades and essentially either use it to improve our big league club or to po- postpone that decision. You can trade a prospect who is facing a protection decision to acquire someone who was signed, drafted in 2019, 2020, 2021, and you've avoided that decision for a while. I, I do feel like that this is, you. you brought it up, like when you look at Cleveland, you look at Tampa, it wouldn't shock me to see either of these teams make a move over the next couple of days, because I, I do feel like I agree with you. I feel like that they faced almost unwinnable scenarios with, if they keep everyone there, they may get some of these guys back, but they're going to see guys taken in the rule five draft if they don't.
0: Yeah, I have, I think I have 11 players listed here um, that are all names that, especially if you follow uh, the Cleveland system that you'd be fairly familiar with. And you know, names like Tyler Freeman, George Valera, uh Brian Rocchio, uh Jose Tana, who I saw uh back in the AFL a couple days ago, um brian Levestita, who had a very good season, Richie Palacios, Aaron Bracco, uh Joe Kenzie Noel. Um, and then there's a handful of arms like Cody Mo- Morris, Adam Scott, Connor Pilkington that could all play roles at a the big league level, I think, for a variety of clubs. It's not, you know just even, you know, uh, uh, bad teams. I think there's competitive teams that would take a guy like that in the bullpen, you know, similar to what we saw from Garrett Whitlock. Maybe it's not going to be that loud, but there are guys that could come in and contribute and, and give you at worst low leverage relief innings, which I think are probably some of the easier innings to fill for, for, you know, rule five guys that get taken.
1: That is a, that is a murderer's row of rule five possibilities yeah. because, Okay. Let's start with Freeman, Valeria, Valera, not Valeria. Freeman, Valera, Rocchio are like, to me, there's no chance you're not protecting them. There's not even a a, a second thought. You're always going to have someone on your 40-man, even if you need to, that you say, okay. We're, I, someone asked me on Twitter a couple of days ago, it's like, do you think the, the the twins are really close to the 40 right now? Do you think that they're going to be able to protect Royce Lewis or is he going to be available? No, the, the number one draft, the number one pick in the 2017 draft is not going to be left unprotected in his first year of protection decision so that Kyle garlic can remain on the <laughs> twins roster. I I'm not picking on Kyle garlic or Charlie Barnes or players like that, but there are players where you're like, okay, this is not a decision that we have to make this one's done, but, you bring up Tenna. Okay, I can easily construct a case where Jose Tenna could fit as a Rule 5 pick. And now it depends on, kind of a lot of that comes down to how much do I value a glove in a backup versus how much do I value a back? Because the same thing with Richie Palacios. I could easily construct sure. a case. And I And the thing about it is, is, I think these players are better than some players I can think of in past years, who've been taking the Rule 5 draft. We didn't even mention there Stephen Kwan, I who say, I think is better is than some of the outfielders yeah. that have been taken.
0: I, I think I would protect Stephen Kwan. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, intangibles there, you know, across the board that he's always possessed, dating back to his amateur days. You know, Oregon State was part of that team with Madrigal and, you know, Adley and, and others. Um, and, you know, he really optimize his his swing path over the shutdown and then you know coming back from injury and despite not a lot of strength and not a lot of raw power he has a sort of innate bat to ball and barrel control that allows him to elevate on pitches when he needs to when he gets something on the inside that he can turn on that unlocked an entire you know element to his game that he didn't possess before that really takes a guy from Hey, a good fifth outfielder, fourth outfielder. He can play a bunch of different spots. He can steal if you need him to. If you need a guy to get on base late in the playoff game, you can do that. Could be that Swiss Army knife. Now he's in the picture of this could be a you know an everyday regular. This guy could be your everyday left fielder for a couple of years or whatever. Um, and I think in an organization that struggled to find outfielders, Quan for me makes sense as a guy that you protect because he easily could go to. Any- either 29 teams and stay in the roster.
1: To, to give an example, the Cleveland lost Kai Tom in the uh in the rule five draft last year. He was picked by the A's. Mm-hmm. Now they're different players. Kai Tom has more thump than Steven Kwan, but Steven Kwan can play center field in a way that a plausible center field, something Kai Tom cannot. Steven Kwan is younger. Steven Kwan has more bat to ball skills that's just an example of a guy who's been taken quite recently um you know another guy who I kind of think Victor Reyes was significantly younger than Stephen Kwan when he was taken by the Tigers a few years ago but again when you say well why was Victor Reyes taken it was because he had hitting ability I mean yeah and some defensive versatility again these are never going to be perfect analogies but but okay now you said like then we, we jump from that to like someone like Jokensi Noel, and you just have to ask with him. We talked about the Padres have kind of ruined it for teams. If Noel didn't get, if was left unprotected and didn't get picked, which I would find to be unlikely, it would be because he does not have any experience above Class A, and mm-hmm. even at Class A, he has 250 at-bats, Basically, not even 300 plate appearances of Class A experience. That said, okay, now that we've gotten that out of the way, he did hit 340, 390, 615 at Class A this year. (laughs) So the guy's getting taken if he's left unprotected, I think, because yes, you know everything that we just said about stashing a player. Sure, absolutely, you may ruin his development. That said, few players set leagues on fire in 2021 like Noel did, and this is what the the problem of these decisions is going to be. Is you just listed off? We're talking like 11 players. I don't care what Cleveland does, unless the Guardians. I'm having to, you know, like the, unless the Guardians make multiple trades, some of these players are going. I have to factor in one other thing. This isn't a team that's looking at 2022 and saying, "Strip it to the to back to the studs. We're gonna you know pull off all the drywall and we're doing a complete rebuild." They're gonna try to be competitive, which adds to the fact we can talk about this. When we get Tampa Bay and these other teams. If you're competitive, the goal's not to get to 40 on November 19th, because hmm. if you're at 40 on November 19th what are you doing for all the offseason moves that you anticipate doing? Because these are teams that you would expect are going to add. Okay. Admittedly, I don't think that they're going to add any $200 million contracts or anything like that, but in either of these cases, but they're teams that will likely add free agents over sure. the off So you're really going to add, at some point, realistically, you only have 36, 37, 38 roster spots to play with.
0: Yeah. And I think the other element to this, too, and, and maybe it's, you know, Noel might be a good example, but he's also somebody that has value in a trade that, you know, if you say you want to take that 40 man spot and you have a couple other prospects you can package to then add a player, you know, that you feel is cost controlled and whatever fits all the boxes that Tampa and Cleveland want. Um, he's a valuable trade piece. And for a lot of the teams they might be dealing with, they don't have as many like, hard 40-man roster decisions yet because you know they don't have enough major league regulars that protecting prospects is as much of an issue so i think that's another sort of wrinkle to all this too there's there's even value within some of the younger players you keep just in terms of keeping them in your organization avoiding any situations and um you know i think maybe perception wise to some other teams you know it might also be viewed as uh you know this is this is one of our better prospects and somebody that we've taken extra precautions to keep in our organization because we value the talent that much so um, just as we continue to read the tea leaves here.
1: So you mentioned Cleveland I, again Tampa, as you also highlighted to me yep. very much fits into this a, as well, from the standpoint of okay, how do you protect everyone and the, the simple. simple you know, the simple answer is, is you're not going to be able to. Mm-hmm. Um And again, this is where you see trades happen where interesting, I'm going to probably butch- butcher his pronunciation and I apologize, but Calvin Fauché, I believe is how it's produce, pronounced. But he was part of the trade, the the Joe Ryan, Drew Strotman, Nelson Cruz trade, which by the way, I, I credit Tampa Tampa Bay on this as well as anyone. They are the masters of the, Oh, by the way, while we're doing this, there's someone else. Wait, wait, what's his name? Hold on, let me see. Yeah, can we get this guy too? I would say if I'm making a deal with the Rays, whoever that first guy they asked for, and maybe they do it cleverly and it's like, it's the second guy they asked for. But whoever (laughs) the first guy they asked for is, I say, no. Like if it's a guy who's in the DSL, who I as GM or president has never even heard of, I reflexively say no, because do know they're going to have had multiple people who've seen that player. And I, the, the, the best example of this in recent years is, is like a couple of years ago, Christopher Sanchez is one of those guys who the Rays look at and go, we're not going to be able to protect this guy, but he throws hard. He's got, he's got major league reliever written all over him. Hey, Philly. We'll work a deal. You have roster room on your 40-man. We don't. We will trade you Christopher Sanchez. Okay, let's do that. That's good. Who do you want in return? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. You know, there's an Australian that you guys just signed. I think he's played a little bit in the Gulf Coast League. How about Curtis Mead? How about that? You know, he's a long ways away. So they did a trade. And here we're sitting here, and Christopher Sanchez, to his credit, that is a big league reliever. He has made the majors, pitched in the majors as a reliever. Curtis Meade has turned himself into one of the best hitting prospects in the Rays organization, has a pretty rare combination of bat-to-ball skills and ability to hit the ball really hard. Some defensive questions, but that's a top 10 prospect, maybe edging towards being a top 100 prospect in all of baseball. And that's a perfect example of, oh, let's kick the can down the road. We'll have to make a decision down the road. But in doing so, they managed to upgrade themselves. But when you look at Jonathan Aranda, Ruben Cardenas, Ford Proctor, Jacob Lopez, Blake Hunt, Tommy Romero, Tobias Myers, again, there are more players here. Miles Mastroboni. I, we could keep going. There are more players here than the Rays are going to be able to protect. I'll, I'll put you on the spot, Jeff. Like if you said, okay, I give you that you get to protect three. Who would you probably want to protect?
0: All right. Yeah. Cause they're, they're at 38 or are they at 37 now?
1: They're at 38 last I checked because they did, they've already made two kind of roster clearing moves. They traded Lewis head to Miami essentially for a player to be named or cash in a, hey, let's get him off the roster, useful major league reliever, who I believe was optioned 12 times in 2020. He, he knew that Durham to St. Pete flight as well and vice versa as well as anybody. And then they also traded um, uh, Mike Brasso to the Brewers yeah. in another move. So that clearly, they went from 40 down to 38 last I
0: checked. Exactly. So I think that the easiest name here for me to grab is is probably Tommy Ramiro. Uh, had a tremendous season this year Um, you know he's a guy that has and we'll talk more about this in my time here but uh, really efficient four-seam fastball so it has heavy ride um, you know really good shape uh, unique analytical characteristics which we know is something that the Rays chase especially guys that have big hop on the fastball because they can fit in a variety of roles and they can utilize that with you know Uh, their arm barn out there that they have with every single, uh, you know, slot in the world. Um, The next guy that I would, I would probably protect myself is Jonathan Aranda. I I think that maybe not for the Rays, but for a lot of clubs, he's a guy that you could keep on the major league roster. Um, You know, he's a, in a above average to plus bat to ball guy in terms of his contact ability. And he's one of the few guys that, that really pairs um, plus raw power and, you know, good exit velo data um, with the ability to, you know, put together really good uh, uh, plate appearances. You know, he works counts. Um, he's not, you know, overly passive, so he kind of balances that aggression and passiveness. And he's sort of a data-driven second baseman defensively, so I think that's fine. Uh, but he has the bat for, it, for him to stick in the majors right now. And then I think the last question comes down to Proctor, Tobias Myers, maybe even Blake Hunt um, and Ruben Cardenas. Though so, um, personally, I'm a little less into that archetype as it's, uh, you know, um, very, very much like Renato Nunez, where it's not a lot of walks, it's very aggressive, and he's got, you know, big juice in the back. You know, there's big monster juice, there's plus power easily. Um, so his game's kind of predicated on that. I think guys like that tend to go into the Rule 5 draft. I think Oscar Gonzalez is another one from Cleveland. It's yep. uh, available in a similar vein so for me i I personally would would struggle between proctor who i think is a really interesting utility guy because he can play pretty much everywhere on the field uh might even be able to pitch in, uh you know sort of uh uh uh, a pinch situation when you're you're down by a bunch of runs or whatever but um the guy can literally play every position on the field i think he played eight positions this year might have played might have played all nine, I can't remember, but Proctor is really versatile. He can hit a little bit, but I really like Tobias Myers. Uh, really interesting fastball. Um, you know, one of these guys like Ty Ramiro, where there's a ton of hop, it's a really efficient shape. Doesn't throw particularly hard, but he's got really unique release characteristics, once again, which is something that the Rays chase. Uh, he's a sub six feet um, release height guy. He gets way down the mound, does a good job getting downhill. And I think he's got really clean mechanical. Uh, uh, operation where there's just a lot I like about Myers. Secondaries are all sort of 45s and 50s, but with a good fastball that can work. So for me, I think I would end up protecting Myers and uh, trying to figure out a trade to get Ford Ford Proctor onto the roster.
1: <laughs> just to, I looked it up. So. Proctor played second short and catcher. If you combine him and Miles, because Mastroboni yeah, played everywhere but catcher, so between the two of them on that Double A roster, they literally did cover everywhere. Um, but I, yeah, exactly. Like from that standpoint, it's I look at it, and one of the things to me that often does get overlooked, as you're looking at Rule Five, like players being taken and all, at the end of the at spring at the end of spring training. At some point, there's that front office manager conversation, and kind of it comes down to with a Rule 5 pick who can somewhat perform. Like, if a guy goes out there and he looks utterly overmatched in spring training, it doesn't matter what Mm -hmm. the argument is. But if he goes out there and he performs, then it comes down to, okay how does this guy fit on a roster? A major league roster, we know we're going to have to carry him. It's one of the things that works against relievers is if you are Garrett Whitlock and you immediately step in as one of the three, two or three best relievers, doesn't matter. All of a sudden, best relievers don't get optioned. But if you're one of the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth relievers in a a pen, those are the guys that ideally... You want to be putting them on the... Most teams want to be putting those guys on the shuttle because, oh, we need a fresh arm this week. We'll send that guy down, let him rest and recover. We'll bring someone else up, and then we'll repeat the process. You don't get that with the Rule 5 pick. The thing I love about Ford Proctor, and you can say this a little bit about Miles Mastroboni also, is these are guys who you say, how do I fit, fit on the roster? Well, in Ford Proctor's case, he's a plausible... I don't mean a... Oh, okay. It's the 19th inning. We're going to go back to the pre, you know, the no, no Manfred man on second. It's the 19th inning. Can we put him at short? I'm saying you can play him at short in a big league game. Plausibly you can play him at second and you can catch him. He's a conversion guy. He's only got about a year of catching. He's not all the way there yet. But if you said the problem of catchers is rule five picks is normally take a catcher and say, that's your number two catcher. That's really hard to do. Yeah, He's your only, we're going to carry two catchers. He's our backup. Very rarely does that work out. In Proctor's case, you could plausibly carry him to say, bat to ball skills, double-A experience already. He can plausibly be our number three catcher for a team. So you can DH your starting catcher, play the backup, and you're not saying, oh, well, we're we'll going to have to lose the DH if something happens. Or you can pinch run for your catcher, your second catcher in the late innings, because you still have someone who can actually go out there and catch a reliever in the ninth, which is a tough thing to ask of someone. And by the way, if your shortstop goes down and you're like, oh, we need someone to go out there, not for two weeks, but for a day, you could do Ford Proctor for that that's the guy kind of guy who I feel like can win the argument of how does he fit on a 26 man roster? i agree with you completely on Romero. I can, I feel confident in saying if Jonathan Aranda is not protected, someone's taking him yeah. too many teams saw him perform like he did this year. Yes. Is there a defensive questions with them? I like how you put it. He's, pull he's passable at second if you said it's a strikeout pitcher on the mound we're gonna shift how many balls are really gonna be hit to second base tonight he -hmm. can play a solid like okay we put him at first base today he yes can he play third uh yeah okay you know like he can he can play multiple positions you just don't really want the ball hit to him out there but there's a bat there's all that Again, this is what's fun about this is like, these are players who all have plausible paths. We didn't even get into some of them. Like again, Blake Hunt, Blake Hunt. This is what the the Padres did in that. that The Padres traded Blake Hunt in the Blake Snell trade. And what did they do? They gave their 40-man roster problem down the road to the Rays. And now the Rays have to look at this and say, okay, especially they have to look at it. They just added Rene Pinto. Speaking of minor league free agents, they added Rene Pinto to the 40-man, their AAA catcher this year, who, by the way, would have been like slam dunk of all slam dunks as a Rule 5 pick if left unprotected, because he is a plausible backup. Like, if if the Rays needed him to be their backup catcher this year, I think he can handle that. But when you already have, can you add Ford Proctor, especially can you add Ford Proctor and or Blake Hunt when... Hmm you already have a starting catcher, you already have a backup, you already, like, that's a lot of spots for catchers, that's where we said that, the working trades becomes an interesting part of the discussion for, uh, you know, for Tampa Bay, so now I want to flip it though, Jeff, the flip side of that is, is there are teams out there who, let's just be honest, they're not agonizing over What decisions have to be made? Uh, Oakland, I'm looking at you. I'm not even going to ask Jeff. what like Oakland, last I checked, 28 players on the 40-man. Not a whole lot of other guys who need to be added to that 40-man. But what are the teams out there that you look at that the flip side of this is it can be an opportunity. It can be a situation where you say, hey, either you're going to have some fun in the Rule 5 draft, but why not make it a little easier and... Save yourself the trouble by working a deal now. Because I I would argue that you, if you are talking to the Rays, if you're talking to the Guardians, if you're talking to maybe the Pirates, there are teams out there where I, I kind of, I, the way I would put it is, is, you should be able to trade 90%, not get a 50, we're going to trade you 50% of this talent to get back your players because you have roster issues. No, but I would say 90, 95%, like you and I know as we make this deal that we value, both value this player slightly more than this player. That said, the player we're trading to clear off our roster has to go on the 40-man, which he will on yours and he can on ours. And the flip side of it is the player we're getting back, maybe we even like a little bit less than we like the guy we're trading, but he won't have to go on the 40-man for a couple of years. And so therefore we have solved our problem. Or you could work a two for one where we'll trade you two players who have to go on the 40 man for one player or things like that. You can. What are some teams that have opportunities to maybe be a little bit creative?
0: here? Yeah. And I think some of it is context, too, of, you know, where is the organization? Are they going to be so we'll, we'll look at two teams here right at the top, but they both have seven to eight spots available, Baltimore and Boston. Baltimore has 32 on the 40 man right now. Boston has 33 pretty even but where they are and what the expectations are heading into 2022 and the money that they could potentially spend and the players that they could acquire they're going to be 40 man guys this off season are drastically different so a team like Baltimore where most of their depth is over the last couple two to three drafts right younger players that maybe are further away from 40 man decisions so they have some capital to trade and maybe some guys that are a little bit further down the depth chart they have a major league roster where um Pat Valleka was their main second baseman last year at at the major league level. So that's where we just talked about a bunch of different second basemen that could potentially not be protected. They're a team that could potentially take one of those guys off of the Rays' hands. You know, maybe if there's somebody or a couple of arms that you know the Rays are going to sneak away from Baltimore. But you know, I think that's a really interesting team um, because they do have that flexibility. And they're also a team that is going to pick in the Rule of Five draft and is going to be able to potentially bring somebody in and, and land them. So, you know, I think that's a pretty interesting team. Um, we have, you know, the Cubs with six spots available. Um, I don't know if they're going to go. They're kind of in a crossroads where they they could go into free agency and they could add players and they could spend a bunch of money because they are the Cubs. And, you know, we know they have a big fan base and ownership, et cetera. But they also could commit to the re- rebuild for another year. Um, so... I find them to be, you know, really interesting from that perspective. Philadelphia is another one because Philadelphia has nine roster spots available. Um, I think they'll sign a couple of free agents, but they don't need eight. Um, So they're another team that maybe has some players that, you know, they can move on from some guys that, um, you know, are even on the 40 man that they can honestly move on from and potentially bring in some other talents that they feel could contribute or fit their roster a little bit better. Maybe that's, you know, a relief arm or one of these, you know, sort of back end uh, the rotation starters that might go unprotected. So yeah, there's a variety of teams here, but I tend to look at some of the teams that are a little bit lower that aren't competing as, you know, those that really have leverage within trade talks with teams that are up against that 40 man crunch.
1: And that's generally, I completely agree with you, which is the flip side of this also is, okay, these are also the teams that makes most sense to be active in the Rule 5 draft. The Red Sox are a perfect example. It's it's not a hard and fast rule. Boston got value out of last year's Rule 5 draft by acquiring a player who then went on to be one of the key relievers in their bullpen. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, the only way that this works is if you're a rebuilding team to take a Rule 5 pick. Sure. I That it worked out great for them doing it, even though they were a contender. That said, when you look at year in, year out, who are the teams that take the Orioles take have taken a lot of rule five picks. One, one, the Orioles like had a tradition. Dan Duquette loves the rule five draft more than I do. I, I, there are not many people I can say that about, but I, I mean, it it was absolutely true. He loved the rule five draft, but beyond that, They've been in rebuilding mode for quite a while now. And that opens up roster spots. I mean, they did well with it last year, by the way. You know, Tyler Wells was a very useful addition to their bullpen. They they didn't have a whole lot of the competition right now to earn a roster spot in Baltimore on a major league team is not the same. Okay, pop quiz. I'm going to put you on the spot just to ask you to guess. I don't expect you to know this. How many pitchers do you think threw for Baltimore in 2021?
0: Oh, um, I believe the number was above 40.
1: It definitely was above 40. How I'm looking it up just to make sure that I'm not forgetting, I'm not thinking this wrong, but
0: I'll say something like 48. That, That's my final answer, Regis.
1: So you go with 48. Yeah. It, it was 42. Oh, okay. Now now think about this. Now, again, Pat Velaika did throw Stevie Wilkerson through. So, but they, your first guess was really good. That it was 49. around 39, 40 actual pitchers. Well, <laughs> let's start with think of how hard that is to do when you have a 40 band roster and you figured out a way to use 40 different pitchers which basically means the last five the last five spots on your 40 man are written in pencil (laughs) and so what did they do anytime anyone hit the waiver wire take a look because the reality the simple reality of it was if a guy was being designated for assignment by someone else there was a pretty decent chance. Like I, I think that if you said across front offices, when you look at the waiver wire, oh, who's who's hit the wire? The question you have to ask is, is this player better than who we have? And generally, the answer for Baltimore was yes, yes, he is. Yeah. And so they 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 shuffled through waves of pitchers, but the same time with that, when you talk about the Rule Five draft. The 41st player on someone else's roster, the, again, you the Orioles are getting better as far as their farm system. But for one, it's still not that deep. It's more right now that has, it, it's getting deeper, but they have some premium guys is what's really made the difference, I'd say, right now. But the second part is, is most of those players we're talking about aren't Rule 5 eligible yet. When you talk about the actual 40 and you say, is this uh, this player who's being dumped, left off this player's team's 40 better than who we have on our 40? The answer is often going to be yes there. And mm-hmm. so, yes, I completely agree. That's going to be opportunities. It's going to be... I, to, to wrap this up, it goes back to, it's a demarcation line. It is a time... You say, why does the Rule 5 draft exist? It exists because if you go back to the turn of the century, and I don't mean the 21st century, I mean the 20th century, there was a time where major league teams were frustrated about players being held at minor league levels and not, they couldn't acquire them. And minor league teams were frustrated because you were a, a class, a double-A team or a class B team. And this player was in class C and there you couldn't acquire them. And so a system was set up to help, I I say to help the players, but let's be honest, they didn't set it up to help. play. It was set up to help player movement, but it did help players because it allowed that there was an orderly way to move players up. Why does the Rule 5 draft still exist? So that instead of a player being held in a system, even though that team is not willing to add them to the 40-man, now they say you can't hoard them. You either have to put them on yours or you have to make them available to everyone else. And by the way, we'll, we'll probably geek out on our minor league rule five draft preview You know, in a couple of weeks. But the last thing I should say with that though is, is that, because I keep getting this question is, is there going to be a rule five draft since the CBA does expire uh, December 1st? Without a CBA, l- free agency and all is going to go into, they probably be stopped. There probably will be a lockout at that point. It's not a strike if it's in the offseason, That's a lockout implemented by the owners. But I would say there still is a chance. I shouldn't, I'm not going to say certainty, but in 1994, the, the World Series was canceled. Everything was stopped. But that December, they still had a Rule 5 draft. So we do have precedent that even during a labor dispute, that's something that still can happen, partly because technically if you get really to the the core of it these players are not party to the cba yet mm. to be eligible for this you're not on the 40 man now the minute you're selected all of a sudden that changes but that and the minor league portion of it you're not part of the 40 man roster so this does not the minor leagues are not part of this labor dispute There is no collective bargaining agreement for non 40 man players in the minors. They are in a system that is implemented by major league baseball. That's why minor league baseball has gone on and continued to play during previous strikes and lockouts. But that's my long digression, Jeff, but to wrap this up, anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to cover?
0: No, I think, uh, I think we did a pretty uh, extensive job of, of wrapping, uh, wrapping up the rule five, what to look forward to, um, you know, as the decisions are made, and I think the teams to kind of look out for in terms of where there could be some movement in the coming days as the deadline approaches. So, uh, well done, JJ. We took we tied it up into an hour.
1: We did. We said we we're going to keep it to an hour. We said also we could have done this for three. We only covered like four teams. If you know. <laughs> We, we should do like a subscriber only podcast. It's like now you guys get the raw uncut. We're going to give you 42 hours, one hour, <laughs> one hour per, but we're going to have to do an hour and a half for the Rays and the Guardians. So, a whole work week
0: with a rule five draft. Yeah,
1: that that sounds like the greatest work week of all time for me, I have to say. <laughs> but thank you for the time, Jeff. Thank you all for the download and the listen. If you do get a chance, we always appreciate it. If you can leave us a review. That is what helps us uh, you know, get the pod, the word of the podcast out to others on whatever podcast uh, catcher you use, whether that be iTunes or whatever, Stitcher. We could keep going down the list. But we're going to keep these going. We'll have a lot more coming up on the 40-man roster. Protection deadline at BaseballAmerica.com. And we'll be getting you ready for the Rule 5 draft and also other things as well. We do have top 10 lists coming out. And and other things like that. We're finishing the Almanac, which will go to printer on Friday of this week. Then we'll be diving into the prospect handbook. It's a, it doesn't slow down, but that's, I mean, I'm sitting here, Jeff and I both have giant goofy grins on our faces as we do this, because it doesn't slow down, but boy, it sure is fun to do all this. It's (laughs) it's enjoyable to be thinking about these things. It's enjoyable to be talking baseball. So- It's not TPS, It's not TPS reports and I don't have a I don't have a copier that or printer that I need to beat into submission right now. So for Jeff, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.